All right, it's First Attend, the podcast. I'm Matt Hayes on the Saturday Down South Podcast Network. We come at you every week talking the best in SEC football. we got a big show today, a big week. We're into November. That can only mean one of two things for coaches. You're either on the hot seat or you're playing for something much, much bigger. we got a lot to get into today, a lot of hot seat talk, as many as half of the SEC's coaches are feeling heat right now, have to win. We're in a situation where it's the inevitable has arrived. So we're going to get deep into that. we got a fantastic guest, my good friend Mike Bianchi of the Orlando Sentinel. He's a columnist there, been at the Sentinel for years upon years, has covered the SEC for even longer than that. We're going to break down all things Florida coaching hire as well as get into a little more coaching business in the SEC and a little national talk about the college football playoff and the first week of rankings. All right, but before we do that, we need to take care of a little housekeeping. Say many thanks to our sponsor, Ticket City. A lot of games this weekend. Some big ones, people. Some big ones, including LSU at Alabama, Auburn at Texas A&M, Florida at Missouri. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Listen, if you're going to spend money on these games, if you're going to invest time, you get there Friday you have a good time, you go out with friends, you have dinner, you get some drinks, you laugh. It's great to catch up. You go to the game Saturday. You get up Sunday morning, have breakfast, talk about the game. Hopefully, your team won. You get up and you go back home. That's a three-day investment. If you're going to do that, why not get the best tickets you can to have the best memories you can? Now, Saturday, Saturday Down South has been working with Ticket City for years. Ticket City is the expert in college football ticketing. Having served over 1.5 million customers, look, they've been the place to go for SEC tickets for almost 30 years. And they're offering $20 off to all Saturday Down South podcast listeners. All you need to do is go to TicketCity.com and enter the discount code SDS20, that's Sally Delta Sally 20, while checking out to save $20 on your order. So go to TicketCity.com, that's T-I-C-K-E-T-C-I-T-Y.com. TicketCity.com, and get your SEC Dukits today. All right, let's move along now. we got a very special guest here, my good friend Mike Bianchi, my traveling partner from years ago in Jacksonville. We, we worked for a cheap but very fun outfit there in Jacksonville, the newspaper there. Um, Bianchi's a good friend of mine, knows as much about the Gators and more than anyone, as well as the SEC. And we're going to talk a little college football playoff with him as well. But first, let's get into the big story in Gainesville, Mike. Jim McElwain. First, what in the world went wrong, and then eventually the fallout. I mean, he, he basically he just wasn't like from day one there. No, and 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 obviously he could have overcome not being liked. He could have overcome his arrogance and the fact that he walked into that athletic department like he owned the place. If he'd have, if he'd have delivered on fixing the offense and 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 making Florida an exciting program, but he didn't deliver on that. Uh, so all of his faults came came to fruition. I, I really do think about six months after Jeremy Foley hired him, he got buyer's remorse because, I mean, Matt, you covered Florida for a long time. You know how Foley built that athletic department. He built it on, you know, coaching synergy and and hiring, you know, coaches who sort of rooted for each other and all for one and one for all among the athletic department. Florida became an all-sport, all-sports giant because of that. 
And, you know, even guys like Spurrier when he was there, I mean, he would he would go to the women's tennis matches and, you know, and things like that. Jim McElwain wasn't like that. He walked in. He wanted – he demanded things. He wanted things. Now, in a way, maybe that was good for Florida because their facilities had lagged and Jim McElwain um, – uh, obviously pushed and harassed the administration into into upgrading the facilities, which was good for the Florida program. But he just didn't need to go public with a lot of the things he went public with. Still the best line of red of all this Jim McElwain coverage, and I'm actually jealous that I didn't think of it, but of course Bianchi has the fantastic line of Jim McElwain had the arrogance of Nick Saban and the coaching acumen of Lou Saban. And that's that yeah. pretty much sums it up, Bianchi. That, that really does. Yeah, he had yeah he had the yeah the arrogance of Nick Saban, the resume of Lou Saban, and if he'd have had the if he'd have had the resume of Nick Saban and the arrogance of Nick Saban, guess what? He'd still be coaching at Florida. You can do that if you're Nick Saban. You can demand things. You can run the entire athletic department. And if Jim McElwain had won and won big in his first three years at Florida, he would be the king of the athletic department right now. I mean, I've heard Florida fans say, you know what, I didn't, I didn't like Jim McElwain's press conferences, the way he was, you know, sort of above everybody. And I'm thinking to myself, if if he were 11 and 0 and had an exciting offense, or 12 and 0, you'd like his press conferences, okay? <laughs> right. <laughs> he all he all of a sudden be that quirky, funny guy who wins a lot of games. Absolutely. All right. So listen, let let's move forward now. Mike Bianchi, by the way. Columnist at Orlando Sentinel, who also has his own radio show on 740 The Team in Orlando. You've been doing that for, what, 100 years, Bianca? Anyway, that would it's a be terrific seven show. Years and, and it's not the team anymore. Uh, it's the game. It's FM 96.9 and AM 740, the game. When, <laughs> when did it change? Here's the worst part. I listen to it every morning when I'm driving my daughter to school, and I still don't know that it's the game. So it's now the game. <laughs> <laughs> it is the game, yes. All right, it has so been for about a decade. So, so let's move along to uh, who replaces McElwain. And I heard your interview with Scott Frost uh, a few days ago on, on your radio show. He's a, he's a bright guy, man, really sharp guy, clearly knows what he's doing, clearly has turned around that program in, in less than two years. What, what, what do you, he's, he's the front runner. What are the odds you think he chooses Florida over Nebraska? Because they're both going to come after him, and he's a Nebraska guy. Oh, absolutely. And Mike, of course, the Nebraska job isn't open yet, but it probably will be soon when Mike Riley gets fired. But I, I, I think Scott Frost is of the mindset that that he would like to stay in Florida and recruit Florida. I remember when the Oregon job opened up last year, and you know he'd only been at UCF one year then. But he, when the Oregon job opened up, he immediately came out. Of course, he's the former offensive coordinator. At he immediately came out and said, "Listen, I don't, you know, I want to stay here. I want to be able to drive to uh, my to to my recruits and vis- and recruit guys in the state that I'm actually living in." And I think that's now obviously Nebraska is a different animal because that's his alma mater. His parents went to Nebraska. He grew up in Nebraska. He's a sports hero there. But I think Scott Frost would like to stay in Florida, coach in Florida. And and maybe take the Nebraska job, you know, two 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 coaching cycles down the road. Let's face it, he's forty years old. The Nebraska job's going to be open three or four times during his coaching career. I don't think he wants a Nebraska job right now. Well, I mean, also if he takes the Florida job and is successful, he's never going to Nebraska. That that that's out of 
that's out of sight, out of mind at that point. I mean, I, to me, I think if you're him, and, and you can, you're probably going to get paid more from Florida, I think you have to look at the history, two decades of history that, at Nebraska right now, and you can see, like, if he wants to drive around and get recruits, Bianca, he's going to be taking planes to get recruits yeah. in Nebraska. I compare, I compare it sort of like, you know, Urban Meyer. When Urban Meyer took the Florida job, he also had a chance for the Notre Dame job. Well, he chose Florida because of the recruiting base and because Ron Zook left him a hell of a team, and he knew he could win and win quickly and, you know, at Florida. So he took the Florida job even though Notre Dame was his quote-unquote dream job. So I sort of look at Scott Frost the same way, although I think Scott Frost obviously – has even more ties to uh, Nebraska than, than than Urban Meyer had at Notre Dame. Urban Meyer didn't go to Notre Dame. He didn't win national championships at Notre Dame as a player. So Scott Frost ties are, are much stronger. Wait, I thought I thought Ohio State was the dream job. Well, Urban's had a bunch of dreams. Well, Florida was the top of the mountain too, as you'll remember. <laughs> All right, so let's. <laughs> so if if the Gators can't land Scott Frost, all right, and they don't want to pay a ton of buyout money, which would be twelve million for for uh, Justin Fuente, who I think would be the perfect coach for them, or nine million for the latest hot guy, Matt Campbell at Iowa State, who I love and think he's a great coach. Then you drop down to guys that maybe are more realistic. I'd love to. I'd love to see him go after Chad Morris. I'd love to see him to go after Willie Taggart. Willie Taggart will leave Oregon if he's offered that job. He will come back home. This is his home state. This is where he's from. He grew up here. He was the quarterback who followed Tommy Frazier, Brandon Manatee. He wanted to play at Florida. Spurrier wasn't running an option offense, so he had to leave. Who, who do they go after if it's not Frost? Well, that's the thing. I mean, the, you just mentioned three really good candidates. I mean, that that's the difference between now and when Florida hired Jim McElwain three years ago. When Florida hired Jim McElwain three years ago, there weren't all these hot, young candidates with great offensive minds. I mean, McIlwain was about the best they could do back then. But now, I mean, you just mentioned guys. What about a guy like, and you would know this better than I, Mike Gundy. What about Mike Gundy to Florida? Evidently, he doesn't get along that well with T. Boone Pickens, the big booster at Oklahoma State. He's got a great offensive mind. He's got the mullet that would fit right in with the jorts and Gainesville. I mean, <laughs> Good grief. He's a natural, isn't he? Yeah, I mean, he, clearly he is. Clearly. clearly. I, I mean, I, I guess my point, and I wrote about this this week, is I don't think if they, if they can't get Frost, I don't think buyout's going to be an issue. I think at that point they're thinking, we're desperate. We have to get a guy who works instead of having a third straight guy who doesn't work and falling deeper into this lost decade. So, do, do you, I mean, would you expect the same thing? That they would, they would then say, all right, it's time to put up some money and get these guys out of their contracts. Well, they, I mean, they certainly did that with McIlwain. They had to pay $7 million to Colorado State to get McIlwain. Actually, I think Florida paid half of that, and McIlwain paid half of it. But, yeah, I mean, I mean, come on. You're in the SEC. You've got all that SEC network money. My, my good friend Mark Daniels, uh, the voice of UCF, he says, he says schools like Florida and, you know, these big-time Power 5, Big 10 SEC schools, he's convinced they have a, they have a faucet in their – athletic program their athletic department whenever they turn on the faucet money just comes pouring out so so florida if florida wants a top-notch coach they'll just turn on the faucet and the money will come out and they'll pay whatever they need to pay that's how that's what i think anyways right or you just call one of the one of the hill griffins ben 
Junior or, or whoever's still yeah. you know, around. Ben, and Bob, that Bill. Citrus giant. Yeah. Right, whoever. And you just say, oh, by the way, we need about $12 million. And there you go. It's it. Yeah, turn the I mean, faucet on, and there it is. Right, right. All right, so so how, how quickly does this thing wrap up? Like, let's say the season ends, UCF wins its, its conference championship. They win the championship game. Is it, is it at that point that Florida swoops in and within a week something happens, you know, good or bad as far as if you're a Florida fan, do they land him or they don't land him? Or do you think Frost waits and let the, lets the thing play out, goes to the, I guess they go to the Peach Bowl now, the group of five teams. What do, what do you think the process is? No, 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 no. No, if, if Scott Frost really wants the job and he's interested in the job, he'll again, I'll, I'll make the comparison to Urban Meyer. He'll do what Urban Meyer did when he was at Utah. I mean, Urban Meyer took the job after the season. Utah was unbeaten. Then he went out and coached the Fiesta. Was it the Fiesta Bowl where they played Pitt that yeah. year? Yeah. Then he coached, you know, but he was the coach at Florida. He just, you know. It's not like if Scott Frost were playing for the national championship or something, yeah, then maybe he, maybe he'd wait to make the decision. But you're not going to hold up um, a school like Florida or Nebraska or wherever just to go coach. And you know, even though it would be a big deal for UCF in the grand scheme of things, you're not going to hold up your next job to go coach in the Peach Bowl. All right, so let's let's quickly move away from this now. And let's talk about the national picture, okay? You saw Georgia last week. Is Georgia a team, and I keep saying that, that Jake Fromm at some point is going to have to make, win games for them. Are they a team that can be that elite team, even win the SEC? Oh, can they beat Alabama? I mean, when, when you look at how, how Georgia has built itself, I mean, yeah, you, I mean, Kirby Smart might be the closest thing to the Nick Saban disciple that there is. Because of the way he's built his team, because of the way he's recruiting now, I mean, he's recruiting at a Nick Saban-like level in only his second year at Georgia. Of course, Georgia has a huge recruiting base as well. So, yeah, I mean, they run the football. They have one of the top defenses in the country. Uh, their quarterback does just enough to win games. Um, yeah, I think they could. Now, now once they play Alabama, we'll see what happens, but Right now, you look. You know, they got two great running backs. Their offensive lines, obviously, damn good because they're running the ball like they are. So yeah, I would say I would say Georgia's an elite national championship contender right now, wouldn't you? Uh, I I, I want to see Jake Fromm win a game with his arm, and I think that's going to happen next week against Auburn. He's going to have to do something in that game. That's going to be a, a critical test for them. And then of course the Iron Bowl as well. All right, let's before we go, let's get your. Right now, you're looking at this, and you do this. You put me on the spot all the time on your radio show, so I'm going to put you on the spot right now. Who are your four teams that are getting in in the playoff? Well, obviously, I'm going to go with I'm going to go with Alabama and Georgia. All right, I'll go with Ooh, Alabama. Right. I'm going to go Alabama and Georgia because I think both teams are going to be unbeaten going into that SEC championship game. I think that's going to be a really close game, and you know, I. I think both will get in. Then I'm going to go Ohio State. And then I think um, hmm, I'm going to go Clemson over. I don't think Notre Dame is going to run the table. And Wisconsin, forget about them. They haven't played anybody. I'm, I'm going to go Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State, Clemson. So Big 12, Pac-12 out, both of them. Yeah, don't you think? I think I mean, it's who's going to get in from the – Who's going to get in from the Big 12? Nobody. I mean, the Pac, I think the Big 12 is going to eat itself alive, and I think the Pac-12 is not going to have 
that comparable resume. Yeah, I mean, it could be the first year where two major conferences get shut out. Yeah, I, I mean, I agree with you. All right, Bianca, I appreciate all your help. Some great stuff, great information. Remember, you can read him at the Orlando Sentinel. You can also listen to him on 740 The Game. The Game. That's right. In Orlando. Thanks, brother. I appreciate it. Thank you, Matty Hayes. All right, that's my good pal, Mike Bianchi. Bianca and I have been friends for a long, long time. Got some great war stories. Great. I, you know, I mentioned earlier when I brought him on that Bianchi and I used to work at the newspaper in Jacksonville, a notoriously cheap newspaper. You know, they used to they used to send guys on the road to cover games, and we'd have to share rooms. And I had this one classic moment when we're in Lexington, covering Florida, playing Kentucky, and we get there on a Friday night. And they only have one room remaining. I mean, it's literally a planes, trains, and automobiles moment. So we look at each other we're like, uh, you know, all right, we'll take it. We had to share the room anyway. But we, what we didn't know was what was inside the room. So we get to the room, open the door, the door swings open, and literally it's that moment. There's a single bed in the room. I kid you not, a single bed. Not a, qu- a queen. Not two queens, not a king. A single twin bed in the room. So we did like what most young guys would do. We flipped. One of us got the mattress and one of us got the box spring. And God was on my side that day, boy. We flipped. I won. I got the mattress. Bianchi slept on a box spring all night. Never, ever forget that. All right, so let's get into the SEC coaches. Half of them now. On the hot seat, or staring at the inevitable, heading into the month of November. We're going to start right back, circle back around to Florida. My idea is it's definitely going to be Scott Frost. He's the guy that Florida's going after, okay? But before we get into the rest of the candidates and the specifics of the rest of the candidates, I want to first lay a couple ground rules, okay? First and foremost, Florida will not hire a coach that has previous NCA issues, okay? So that means, everyone, that Chip Kelly... The darling of the coaching offseason will not be in Gainesville. It's not happening. All you got to do is look at Jim McElwain's contract and see the specific language that Florida put in Jim McElwain's contract about the, the football coach conducting himself with the highest standards and ethics, integrity, and morals, and that those standards are set by the university and are greater than anything the NCAA or SEC says. So those are very, very high standards, okay? And Kelly was accused of paying a street agent by the name of Willie Lyles $25,000 for bogus information, recruiting information. And the reason he did it was because Lyles was basically funneling players to Oregon. Guys like LaMichael James, who ended up being one of the greatest players ever at Oregon. Lake Seastrunk, who ended up playing very little at Oregon, transferred to Baylor, had a nice career at Baylor. That's, that's some sleazy stuff, okay? The NCAA investigated it. Kelly was given a show cause order, an 18-month show cause order, which essentially means he can't coach anymore for those 18 months. Now, a school could have hired him, or Oregon could have kept him before he left for the NFL, but they would have had gone before an NCAA infractions committee and explained why they were keeping him or another school would have gone before the committee and explained why they wanted to hire him, and he would be subject to st- stringent and specific rules against recruiting. He basically would have been handcuffed as far as a recruiter. 
if you wanted to hire him within those 18 months. He goes to the NFL, runs away from the NCAA, and he said many times, I didn't leave because of the NCAA. I left because I wanted to coach in the NFL. Great. Fine. Even if that's your reason, you were getting away from the NCAA. Because that 18-month show, show cause order hanging around your neck is like a scarlet letter. It's not happening. Florida will not hire a coach with NCAA issues, okay? It will not be a coach with a defensive background. So as much as I love Gary Patterson at TCU, that's not happening. That's, it, it, they tried it with Will Muschamp. Didn't work. They're not looking for defense. The defense is figured out. Even this year, and even how badly it looked last week against Georgia, they're on solid ground right now with the defense. They need better players, but defensively, they're good. They need offense, okay? The hire will be a younger type coach, all right? A guy with that fire and inner fortitude to compete with Saban on the field and as a recruiter and not imitate him. No more Nick Saban disciples, okay? And I've been saying this now for a year or so. Florida has to be who it is, all right? For years now, they've tried to be like Alabama and Nick Saban. It's not happening this time around. Florida's going to go back to being what Florida is, all right? They can no longer try and recreate what Alabama has done to reshape the SEC. Now it's time to be true to who and what you are, and that is a team that is fun to watch on offense, that throws the ball all over the place, that scores points, that values offense over defense. And I'm not saying at the expense of defense. I'm saying it values offense over defense. That still doesn't mean you can't be really good on defense like they were in, in Spurrier's championship season in 96 with, with Bob Stoops coaching that defense. It doesn't mean you can't be good in 2006 and 2008 like Urban Meyer's defenses. Those two defenses were unbelievable. That 2008 defense still, you go back and look at that team and all those players that are playing in the NFL. Those, I mean, Charlie Strong did an unbelievable job with that defense. And, and that staff did an unbelievable job recruiting for that defense. But the reality is it's offense first, defense as a complement. I think the days of trying to recreate Alabama are over. It's not going to happen. You got to go back to being who you are. And finally, buyouts are not an obstacle. And I talked to Bianchi about this, and I truly believe if they don't get Scott Frost, that they're going to have to say, you know what, we have to spend whatever we have to spend on buyouts to get the guy we need. If that means we got to spend $12 million to go get Justin Fuente, then guess what? we got to spend $12 million to go get Justin Fuente. Simple as that. All right, so look at Frost. 42 years old. And for those of you pining for the sweet yesteryears of the glory days of Florida, Spurrier was 45 in his first year of Florida. Urban Meyer was 42. So he hits that sweet spot, man. His, his salary is $2 million a year right now at UCF. His buyout's $4.1 million. Not going to be an issue. You look at what he's done there. They didn't win a game when he got the year before he got there. They were bowl eligible in his first year. They're 7-0 now. His team leads the nation in scoring offense. They're averaging 51 points a game. They're fifth in total offense. He's young. He's dynamic. He's charismatic. He's the perfect fit for them right now. Now, does he go back to Nebraska where he grew up, where he played? Here's an interesting little tidbit that I'm sure not a, pe- a lot of people know. He initially went to Stanford. He left Nebraska because he wanted to get out of the state to play at Stanford. He played for Bill Walsh. He came back after a couple years, went to Nebraska, led Nebraska to a national championship. So I I think the poll will certainly be there because he's a homegrown kid, but not as big as I think everyone believes. 
and I know a couple of my friends in the in the in the business in the journalism field believe he's going back to Nebraska. One of them being Dennis Dodd at CBS Sports. My good friend Dennis believes that there's no doubt he's going to Nebraska. I tend to think along the lines of Mike Bianchi, where if you can recruit here in this state with the kind of talent and elite athletes this state has, why would you leave? If you are specifically zeroed in on professional growth and winning championships. Uh, I mean, it's not even a question which job you take. All right, number two on my list is Willie Taggart at Oregon. And I know he's only been at Oregon for a year, but I'll tell you what, he would leave Oregon like that and walk to Florida for that job, all right? Timing is just so critical in all these coaching searches. Had Willie Taggart stayed one more year at UCF, and UCF was in this situation they're in now, or excuse me, USF, and they're in this situation they're in now where they're either unbeaten or they got one loss, he is a lock for that job, an absolute lock. He's a Florida kid, grew up here, played high school ball at Bradenton Manatee, followed Tommy Frazier. We got into this with Bianchi. Wanted to play for Florida, was desperate to play for Florida. Spurred didn't recruit him because he was an option quarterback, and they weren't running the option. So he went to Nebraska and played at Nebraska. So here's a guy who's had a lot of success, first at Western Kentucky, then he gets to USF. The program's in a shambles, completely turns it around. They're an offensive force last year. He gets the job at Oregon, and Oregon also was in a mess when he got there. And they're 5-4 and four right now. They're playing way better than they played last year. Clearly, he's recruiting at a high level right now at Oregon, at a place that, believe me, is very tough to recruit to. It's not like you're going to sit there and all of a sudden recruits are going to run to come to Oregon. It's fun. The uniforms are fun, and the facilities are great. But believe me, when those recruits get on the plane, they fly way out there to Oregon. That's not that. You go out there with your family, and all of a sudden your family starts to think, wait a second, you're five hours away or so, four hours away or so on a plane. How often am I going to see you? You know, How often am I going to be able to watch you play? How often am I going to be able to leave and we're going to be able to find a babysitter for whoever? It's a lot that goes into that, okay? And I truly believe that if Willie Taggart is approached by Florida and offered the job, he absolutely will take the job. His salary right now is $2.9 million. His buyout is $8.15 million. So again, you know, now you're starting to increase a little bit in the buyout. But you look at what you could get with him, a dynamic recruiter, a guy who has that Harbaugh mentality, that, that win with character and cruelness, that mentality. Just a terrific coach, a guy who I think is going to do great things at Oregon if he stays there. The next guy in my, in my list, and really this, he would be the number one guy were it not for his buyout, is Justin Fuente. I mean, you look at what Justin Fuente has done, not only what he did at Memphis. Memphis might have been the worst FBS team in all of college football when he arrived there a few years ago. He gets there, and in year three, he's got 10 wins, and all of a sudden, everybody's finally figuring out who this former offensive coordinator at TCU and who he is and what he's all about. He gets to Virginia Tech. Virginia Tech was a shell of its former self when he got there. They clearly had declined over the last two or three seasons under Frank Beamer. And that just happens when you got a guy who's been there forever. He gets their first year, they win the division title. And they were very close to beating Clemson in that ACC championship game last year. He's 17-5 right now in 22 career games at Virginia Tech. All right? This year, they're 7-1. And he's got a redshirt freshman quarterback. And if that kind of rings any bells for the Gator fans out there, you got a redshirt freshman quarterback too. Only his redshirt freshman quarterback, Josh Jackson, is playing fantastic. They're averaging 36 points a game. They win. He's proven that he can rebuild things and that he does it with offense. 
and he can recruit. You know, but then you get down to the nuts and bolts of it. His salary is $3.25 million. That's not going to be an issue. They could double that easily or come close to it or give him $5.5 million. The issue is the buyout, $15 million. That's a big number, a big, big number. But I, again, I think if you're desperate, if you're Florida and you can't get Frost and you can't get Willie Taggart and you're desperate, it's time to turn that faucet on because if that faucet is there, you know, you got to get $15 million. You need that money. And you need that coach. Again, like I said, if all things being equal, that's the guy I would go after. Now, that buyout's a a huge, huge red flag. All right, let's move along. The guy I really like is Chad Morris at SMU. I think his work with the Clemson offense and how he built that offense before leaving for SMU, just incredible how efficient and how impressive and how an offense like that can impose its will on people. He recruited Deshaun Watson. He was the guy who got him there. Uh, you know, he, like I said, he set up that offense, and that's not minimizing what Elliott and Scott have done at Clemson. I think they've done a terrific job with that offense, and both of those guys eventually will be great head coaches one day. But I think what Chad Morris did just always gets overlooked. You know, then he gets to SMU, and the, the reality is SMU had hit, fallen on hard times last year under June Jones. They were just a bad program when he got there. And it's taken a couple years to bring them back to where they are now. Now they're 6-2. and two. You know, they're playing host to UCF this week in Dallas. That's a big game. That's a game. If Chad Morris wins that game, suddenly he comes on everybody's radar. He's now the guy that everybody's starting to say, wait a second. You know, what about Chad Morris? And Chad Morris, like I said, if you want offense, if you're Florida and you want offense, that guy will bring you offense. I mean, there is no doubt about that. They're right now, they're in the top 10 in the nation in both scoring and total offense. And he's got a sophomore quarterback, Ben Hicks, who literally no one wanted. None of those big Power 5 schools wanted. He's a guy from Waco, Texas, Ben Hicks. And, and Chad Morris has developed him into an elite quarterback in, in the American Athletic Conference. The last guy is a guy, by the way, Chad Morris' salary, $2 million. He has no buyout, none. Also makes him very attractive. The last guy, of course, is the latest hot guy. That's Matt Campbell at Iowa State. Clearly, his stock has risen with Iowa State's two top five wins over Oklahoma and over TCU. And, and I think what he did at Toledo just did a terrific job there, not only winning games, but the way he developed that offense. He's a guy whose offense is score points. He's a guy who gets it. He's a young guy. He's a sharp guy. He recruits very well. Uh, he, he also would be a, a very nice fit at Florida as a, as a plan B guy. He makes $2 million a year. His buyout, yeah, it's going to be a little steep, almost $10 million, $9.5 million. So that's certainly going to be an issue as well. Again, like we said earlier, if Florida cannot get one of the first one or two guys they want, you know, they're going to have to turn that spigot on. They're going to have to pay money. They're going to have to pay some buyout money, like it or not, and some big buyout money. All right, I said we were going to talk about not just the Florida coach, but at least half of the SEC's 14 coaches that are either on the hot seat or staring at the inevitable. And... It's clear with all these guys, Butch Jones at Tennessee, Matt Luke at Ole Miss, the interim coach, who's, they're not going to rehire him, okay? Barry Odom at Missouri. Barry's done some good things the last couple of weeks. Again, not against, not against the best competition. I think Barry Odom might help himself if they can beat Florida this weekend. And I, I mean, the way Drew Locke is playing, the way he's throwing the ball, yeah, I, I think they can beat Florida. He might help himself there. Uh, if they don't beat Florida, it's, it's going to be hard for him. Nobody goes to those games. Um, there's, there's just fan apathy, and there's just a lack of – of a juice going around that program. 
Uh, Gus Malzahn clearly in an issue where, you know, he's got three very big games coming up right now. Uh, Brett Bielema at Arkansas also in a tough spot. Kevin Sumlin after last week's 21-point loss to, to, to Mississippi State in another tough situation. Uh, and then, of course, there's McElwain who's already been fired. That's seven. Seven guys, okay? And the interesting thing is, and I think you need to understand this, and I wrote about this at, in, in the first and ten of the column on SaturdayDownSouth.com, is there's a new way of doing things now for coaches as far as you've got to find the sweet spot between when do I get out before I'm going to get pushed out. And I think, I think McElwain had, had that idea in his head that, you know what, this is starting to turn on me. I got a problem. And I'm not saying that's why he used those death threats, whether you, know, you think they're bogus or not. Personally, I think they were, it was just a huge exaggeration. He might have gotten some sort of nasty emails. I think it was he, he then exaggerated into death threats. Um, you know, I, I think he was kind of like setting the foundation of, you know what, hey, maybe I may get out of here at the end of this year. I may go over to Oregon State. But like I said, you've got to find that sweet spot before they run you out. And, and there are two guys right now that are in that situation, two very specific guys that are in that exact situation, and that's Malzahn and, and Bielema. Now, I, I think Gus's situation is a little more cut and dry because he's got three big games. He's at, they're at Texas A&M, they got Georgia, and they got Alabama. And those are big games for Auburn. You know, Gus wins two of those three, he's fine. He wins one of those three, uh, it's going to be an issue. You, you, you're going to have to make that choice. You're in that sweet spot right there. And, you know, and, and here's my idea of this. I, I truly believe this is Bill Snyder's last year at Kansas State. Bielema is beloved at Kansas State. He's a former D.C. there. Uh, they love him there. He's a perfect fit there. You know, if you're Brett Bielema, do you leave just so you can restart your clock and you can suddenly all of a sudden, instead of going to be the guy who has one more year to make it work at Arkansas, to being a guy who's got a five-year contract at Kansas State making good money? You know, do you leave and do that or do you stay and be that guy who's on the hot seat and week after week after month after month, every question and every story and every idea is you're on the hot seat, how do you deal with it? And if that happens and if he does go to Kansas State, and for some reason, Malzahn, I shouldn't say for some reason, if Malzahn wins two of those three games and stays around Auburn, then he's got a decision. If you're Gus Malzahn, and again, you're in a situation where next year you might be talking about, well, Gus has got to win X, Gus has got to win Y. Don't you just say, you know what, I'm going to restart my clock again. I'm going to slide right over to Arkansas. That's the state where I grew up, the state where everybody loves me. I'm going to slide right in there and take that job. And be done with it. Be done with this nonsense. And I talked to a couple agents about this, and there's no doubt that coaches are starting to shift more toward this mindset. They don't like it. They don't like the idea that they're leaving programs that they've built and that it looks like they're quitting. There's no doubt about that. But the reality is, if you're in this business, once you become a guy who's been fired, you kind of have that little stigma around you. And I think a lot of coaches are starting to see that, that it's better to get out before it's too late to get out. And that's going to be the interesting thing with, with, with over the next month with, with Bielema and, and Gus Malzahn. And I think it's going to be an interesting sidebar to what's going on with the seven coaches that are clearly in a situation where they've got to win. So just look at this weekend's game in College Station. Auburn going to College Station to play Texas A&M. You could literally look at this game as a loser-goes-home game. Because right now, Kevin Sullivan's in a bad situation. That loss to Mississippi State was 
brutal last week. Not only the way it happened, but the fact that, and whether you like this or not, and I know Mississippi State fans don't like to hear this, Texas A&M holds itself higher than Mississippi State. Texas A&M believes it should be winning West Division championships. It should be competing for SEC championships. It holds itself as a bigger and more important program than Mississippi State. And I know it doesn't sound right. I know it sounds awful for Mississippi State fans, but that's the reality. So Mississippi State goes in there and just absolutely abuses Texas A&M last weekend. Drops Kevin Sullivan's record to 2-11 at Kyle Field versus SEC West Division rivals. Think about that. 2-11 and 8-13 and overall versus the SEC at home. So your biggest games of the year, your league home games, and someone's 8-13 and overall against the SEC and 2-11 and against the West. I mean, that's, that is not how you keep a job. They, Texas A&M hasn't beaten an SEC West rival, okay, since October of 2015, and that was Mississippi State. Their last chance to beat an SEC West team this season is Auburn this weekend. The same Auburn team that is desperate to win this weekend and set up a, just two huge games down the road. So Auburn wins in College Station, goes to 7-2. and two. You know, then you're setting up a huge stretch in November. Two gigantic home games against Georgia and Alabama. And you got a little home game against UL Monroe, a little cupcake sandwiched between them. But you're talking about a, a, a team that could very easily finish 8-4 and four by losing to Georgia and Alabama. Then if you're 8-4 and four and you're Malzahn, you're right at that sweet spot again. What do you do? I and mean, if you're not going to get fired or if you're in the point where you think you might get fired, do you leave before you're pushed out? That, that has to be something that not only Gus Malzahn, every coach, like I said earlier, every coach has to address that. That's kind of the reality right now in the coaching business. You get paid a lot of money, but you're also in a situation where one game, one week can change everything. But in the one coach we haven't covered yet is the one coach that's a done deal, and that's Butch Jones. He will be fired. It's just a matter of when. And, and I truly believe if John Curry hasn't done it yet, he's waiting to see if that team can win six games and get to a bowl. Not because that's going to save Butch's job, but because that can get those seniors a nice little parting gift. And, and, and I think that's the right thing to do. I think that's good. If you know you're going to fire him, you know it's, it's, it's a done deal. I mean, some people think, why not do it now and get it over with and get an early start? There are two ways to look at it. You do it that way or you do it the other way and you try and help the current players on the team as much as you can. You know, and why not? Those guys busted their tail for four or five years. The bowl games are always nice. It's a nice little week trip. You know, it gives you something to look forward to. It gives you a nice little present for working hard. If you don't win a championship and you don't get to the playoff, at least you've got something to look forward to. And, and I'm all right with that. I'm absolutely all right with that. Now, if Tennessee gets to the point where it's inevitable and they're not going to be bowl eligible, you know, like, I don't know, losing to Southern Miss at home this weekend, which would drop you to 3-6, and six, and then you got to beat Missouri on the road, LSU at home, Bandy at home, to get bowl eligible. Yeah, I, I, I think if they lose to Southern Miss this week, then you might see John Curry pull the plug. Now, the same point, if they win, you know, then you're John Curry and you're saying, all right, well, we're 4-5, and five, we need two wins in the next three. Then you got to think, all right, if you lose at Missouri, yeah, beating LSU and being Vanderbilt is not going to happen. Both. You might beat one, but that's not going to happen. So I think this week, 
Long story short, this week's a key week right now for Butch Jones. He wins, he staves it off a little bit. He loses, I think he's going to get fired the Sunday following the game or the Monday following the game. All right, let's move on to the picks. Every week, we take the five best games in the SEC and we go against the spread. None of this coin flip stuff. None of this 50-50 stuff. We go against the spread. Last week, 3-2. and two, Got a couple of tough, tough losses last week. The worst being Kentucky. I took Kentucky and I laid five and a half, and aye, that didn't work out. That didn't work out. So 3-2 and two last week, 27-18 and 18 on the season, still at a very respectable 600% clip. All right, let's get into it. Florida travels to Missouri. The Tigers, the Tigers and all of three or 4,000 fans that'll be there are two-and-a-half-point favorites, and I'm taking the Tigers in a white-hot quarterback, Drew Locke. I think they're going to float... Throwing that Florida secondary. And the thing is, with the Florida defense, I think talent-wise, they're close to being there. They need some more pieces. But I think they're good enough to compete right now. Their biggest problem is in the secondary. And I think those two corners are going to be very good. But the reality is, those guys do not play the ball well when it's in the air. They don't turn their heads enough. They don't see the ball. And that's been a problem all season. And that's going to be a problem against Missouri because Missouri can throw the heck out of it. They will score points. And Florida's going to be in a position where you're trying to score points with Missouri, with that offense. And I think Malik Zaire's probably going to be the guy that starts for them this week. I think they're going to move to him and let him do a lot of the zone read stuff and try and get a little ball control and try and keep that Missouri offense off the field. But that's asking a lot. I think Missouri's feeling pretty good offensively. Look, I'm not saying Missouri's a juggernaut, but the Florida offense is just so messed up right now that it, puts, it constantly puts the defense in bad position. I'm going to take Missouri, and I'm going to lay those two and a half points. South Carolina travels to Georgia. The Gamecocks are getting, I mean, this to me is just really starts to show the respect now Vegas has for Georgia. South Carolina is getting 22 and a half points. I mean, that is a big number. And again, you know, we spoke with Bianchi about this earlier in the podcast. I truly believe that at some point, someone's going to figure out how to stop Georgia from running the ball. And then at that point, that's when Jake Fromm's got to make plays to win games. And, you know, it's funny. Last week, Chauncey Gardner, the Florida safety, was asked about Jake Fromm. And, he, and it, the infamous quote was, anybody can throw a slant. You know, you have to understand with these, with these young guys, and I call them young guys, they're 19, 20, 21-year-old guys. They're young men. This isn't trash talk for them. These are guys that watch game tape, and they're giving you honest answers. And, and we should celebrate stuff like that instead of seeing, seeing it as trash talk. These are guys that are giving you honest answers. And his honest answer of anybody can throw a slant, I got news for you. He's not that far off from, from the idea of what Jake Fromm does in the passing offense at Georgia. He, Fromm has attempted 15 or fewer passes in six of Georgia's eight games this year. He threw the ball seven times last week against Florida. And they won, what, 42-7? Seven times. Seven. It's like we're in the 1980s, and Georgia's, you know, with Dooley running the option, they're playing Kentucky in the wide tackle six or wide tackle eight, whatever that defense was called. I mean, it's unbelievable. At some point, there will be people who stop the Georgia run, and that's going to be next week Auburn. 
in three weeks, Alabama. That's, that's going to happen, okay? There will be times when Auburn stops Georgia from running the ball. There's going to be times when Alabama stops Georgia from running the ball. Jake Fromm is going to have to make plays with his arm, and it's going to have to be more than just a slant, more than just a curl, more than just a go. They're going to have to be combination routes, which means Georgia's going to also have to protect. I love Georgia. I think they're playing really well. Defensively, they're playing terrific. I want to see them on offense when they have to throw the ball. I think they're one of the four best teams in the country right now. I want to see it proven to me by the way they throw the ball. I don't think it's going to happen this week against South Carolina. I don't think South Carolina has enough to stop them from running the ball. But I'm still going to take those 22.5 points. That's a lot of points. A lot of points. And I think South Carolina can score a little bit because I, I like the way Jake Bentley throws the ball. And I think the running game's getting better. So they're going to score enough to, with the 22.5 to cover that. All right, next up is Ole Miss at Kentucky. Another big win for, I feel like I'm the Kentucky cheerleader now. The last few weeks we've been talking about Kentucky getting the nine wins for the first time since I believe it's 84. I mean, just there, it's another, another day now, another week, another chance for Kentucky to get another W. You got an Ole Miss team just, I mean, reeling after just absolutely blowing that huge lead against Arkansas last week. Playing with a backup quarterback. Kentucky's feeling really good about itself, especially after beating Tennessee last week. Kentucky's laying four points. I'm laying those points all day long. I'm taking Kentucky in that game. We got Auburn traveling to Texas A&M. We talked about that game earlier. We talked about the critical factor. It is for both coaches to win that game. It's, I, I mean, if Auburn goes in there and lays a number on Texas A&M, it's going to be very hard for Kevin Sumlin to get to the following week because they're not happy right now after that Mississippi State game. I'll tell you that right now. And, and another ugly loss against another SEC West team, which drops them to, what, 2-11 versus the SEC West at home? I mean, you, you just can't have that. Texas A&M is getting 13 points. That is a big number. Now, Kellen Mond's coming off probably his worst game as a starter at Texas A&M. Starkle's available. He did some good things last week, late in the game when it was completely over, and I think Mississippi State didn't really care on defense. That's a big number. I'm really, really tempted to lay it with Auburn because I think Auburn's coming off a bye week, going to play really well. But this is last stand for Texas A&M, last stand for your coach. I mean, you got to play hard. So I'm going to take those 13 points. I think, I think A&M's going to win with the 13. I mean, Auburn's going to win straight up, but I don't think they're going to cover laying those 13 points. All right, and finally, we move to the big one of the week. LSU going to Tuscaloosa to play Alabama. And, oh, boy, that number. 22 points. 22 points LSU is getting. That, to me, is unfathomable. That also really shows the, the deep, deep chasm between Alabama and I, I'm, I'm going to kind of put Georgia there and the rest of the SEC. It's just a big drop from those two teams, especially from Alabama. 22 points. When did you ever think LSU would get 22 points in a game against Alabama. We're not that far removed from the classic 9-6 game. I mean, I guess it's six years ago, but it's still a situation where, wow, 22 points. Here's an overlooked factor right now with LSU. And we talked all season about Matt, Matt Canada and his impact on the LSU offense. 
and the fact that they do different things clearly in the run game with the option and the jet sweep stuff, but they also throw the ball deep more, and they stretch the field a little more, and that also helps that run game. The overlooked factor with Matt Canada and his impact on the LSU offense, LSU has six turnovers this year, all season. Six. Now, you take away two interceptions from Miles Brennan, the backup quarterback, and that number drops to four. Think about that. Four turnovers from a starting offense in eight games. You want to know how you beat Alabama? You don't turn the ball over. You're not careless with the football. You play smart. Now, you also need to create turnovers to beat Alabama. And LSU's only forced nine all season, which is 95th in the nation. Did you ever think you'd get to a point where LSU was 95th in the nation in forced turnovers? That's unheard of. So LSU is going to need multiple turnovers, three or four, and they're going to need to protect the ball, not turn it over one time to even have a shot to get that game to the fourth quarter. Because I just don't think that they're good enough offensively to keep their defense off the field for long stretches. You know, and that's when that grind of playing that Alabama power run and playing that play action throwing and playing against a quarterback that can also hurt you with his feet. When it's third and nine, you think you've got to stop because you've got everybody covered. And all of a sudden, Jalen Hurts breaks free and he runs for 21. And it just literally breaks your spirit. I'm not sure LSU has the offense to keep the defense off the field enough. So you've got to get turnovers. You've got to get short fields. You got to allow your offense to score on short fields, and you got to put the mindset into Alabama. If you score a touchdown or you score 10 points quick or you score 14 points quick, you got to get Alabama in the mindset of, okay, you know, we got to work a little bit now. And I, I think with Alabama, it is literally just a machine out there. They flip it on and it goes, and they don't even think twice about it. If you can get turnovers and you can create a little doubt, I think you have a chance. But, I mean, that's a, that's a tall, tall order for a team that is not elite at the most important position on the field. I like Danny Etling. I think he does a nice job. He's certainly not elite. He does enough to allow them to run the ball. But he's got to play at an elite level in this game for LSU to have any kind of chance. And I told you three weeks ago or four weeks ago when I, when I took Ole Miss in this un, unbelievable number, I think it was 34 or 35 points and I took Ole Miss. And I lost that, and I told you I'd never again bet against Alabama with a large number. But you know what? I'm going to take LSU in those 22. I'm going to take LSU in the 22, and I think I'm going to win that one. So let's recap. I'm taking Missouri minus 2.5. I'm taking South Carolina plus 22.5. Two big numbers in, in, for the two best teams in the league that they're laying, both in home games. I'm going to take Texas A&M in 13, the home dog. I'm going to take Kentucky, laying four at home against Ole Miss. And, of course, I'm taking those 22 in LSU at Tuscaloosa. All right, it's going to wrap it up. Had a lot of fun today. Remember, subscribe to the podcast. Like it. Share it. Tell your friends about it. Had a blast. We'll be back again next week to talk SEC football better than anyone else. Remember, everybody, enjoy the game. Great job.